Amen, and welcome again. Uh, we want to welcome you. If you have kids in worship today, we're so glad about that. Uh, we try to communicate that all the time, but during the summer, we just have the kids in here rather than going to children's church. We love the noise. We love the chaos, so just the more the merrier. We're happy about that. There are some activity bags out in this hallway if anybody wants one of those. I bet there are messengers that would go grab one for you. But as we enter, continue to enter, I suppose, into Mark's text here and working our way through the Gospel of Matthew, these early chapters, I want to just, I mean, we always do this when we read Scripture, but today especially, I want you to just put yourself in the place of the disciples because that is reality, okay? The disciples, where they have been, is they have been doing ministry. They've been doing ministry together as a group. They've been trained by Jesus, and now Jesus has started sending them out in pairs to go out and, and cast out demons and heal the sick and preach the gospel to in the surrounding countryside. So they have got a taste now of what ministry is like. And you all have a taste of what ministry is like. Some of you have been working your tails off at music camp. You've been working in bereavement dinners. We've been doing a lot of things. You've been praying You've been serving in all sorts of ways. And that's just this week. So you've been busy too. And you've been sent out by Christ too. All of you and all of us who have come through the waters of baptism, we are missionaries. As soon as we're baptized, Christ is marking us and saying, now you belong to me. You carry my name to the world. From the time you're babies, this is your vocation in the world. You represent me. You carry the mark of Jesus, as Paul said, on your body. And that's what we give to the world. So we're already at work. And the disciples like us have learned some lessons. They've been rejected a few times. They've been disappointed a few times. Uh, they've been exhilarated a few times. And good things have happened and rough things have happened. And here they are today. They're just trying to get away, you know. They're just trying to get a break. And they're kind of interrupted again. They show up uh, in Jesus He's saying, hey, y'all need to come to this desolate place for a while. And the purpose of going to this desert place is to rest. We're going back where God can minister to us. And so they do that. And many people see them, though, recognize them. And so they ran on foot from around the towns and they come interrupt their rest a little bit. But Jesus sees the crowds and rather than saying, good grief, people, <laughs> give us a break. We're tired. We've been working. Have you not seen all the stuff that we've been doing? We need a break. Jesus, Mark tells us that Jesus had compassion for them. Right? He was moved in the deepest places of his human being when he saw the crowds. And the reason he was moved is because they were like sheep without a shepherd. They looked lost. And Jesus said, okay, I've got to do something. So what's the first thing he does? What's his instinct? The very first thing that happens, he begins to teach them. He begins to feed them. So their ancestors were in a desert place and they learned their bodies were fed with daily bread, manna. Now Jesus begins to teach them with the word, right? Man does not live by uh, bread alone. We learned earlier in the gospel, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So Jesus begins to teach them and feed them where they are. This goes on for a while. It's getting late. And like any of us, we're kind of like, okay, Jesus, you brought the select company out to have a little rest. It's getting late in the day. Don't you think it's time we send these people away so we can have some time together? You know, our retreat can still be rescued. Can we send these people home? Send them back to the surrounding countryside. They can go buy some food to eat. Well, that was their idea. 
And Jesus answered them by saying, why don't y'all give them something to eat? <laughs> okay, you want to send them to the countrysides? Why don't y'all send? Why don't y'all give them something to eat? That's the call. Christ issues a call. Like in the midst of ministry, they're already doing ministry, and he gives them a new call. He says, why don't you feed the people? They are like sheep without a shepherd. I would like for them to be nourished. Why don't y'all take care of it this time? And the disciples immediately have objections, okay? And just remember, we're in the story here. So Christ is calling us again to something. I don't know what it is today or tomorrow for you, for us. But he's continuing to call and saying, why don't y'all go feed him? And I raise my hand and I say, well, wait, 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 Lord. <laughs> I don't, surely you don't mean this. And we all have a but Lord story, right? We all have a but Lord response. And so just, you know, we can just hear ourselves with that echo, with that chorus. But Lord... I never noticed this before, but at the beginning of chapter 6, when Jesus sends out the disciples, he's, Mark tells us he was very clear about what they should take and what they should not take. And among the things they should not take with them was bread. He said, don't take any bread with you. Well, that would have been handy, you know, if you just sent us and let us bring bread and you want us to feed people, that would have been nice. But there's no bread. They didn't carry any bread with them. Oh, and by the way, he said, don't take any money with you. So we would like to go buy food for them, but we don't have any money. So... Why don't you send them away to go feed themselves? And their objection, again, like ours, but Lord, we, we don't have bread. There's not enough money. There's not enough time. There's not enough people to help. I mean, there's all these people. There's 500 men plus the women and children. So whatever number we want to throw out there, uh, 15,000, something like that. There, there's way too many people for us to feed. We don't have enough help. We put out sign-up sheets in the narthex. No one signed up. We sent an email out for people to volunteer. They didn't volunteer. We feel like no one's going to show up. We, we can't do it, Lord. You, you know, this is not going to work. How many times have we been those people in the church? I mean, you've all been there. We've all been there. We've been in finance committee saying we just don't have enough cash to do that. We've been in meetings where we say we just don't have the resources or the infrastructure or the personnel or the vision to do that. You give them something to eat. So in the midst of our objections, Christ calls to us again. And he says, well, what do you got? <laughs> you don't have enough of that. You don't have enough of that. You know, what, what do you have? Do you have anything with you? Do you have anything that you carry with you? And he says, go and see. It's important for him to say, go and see, because they've probably already answered, even if it's not recorded, and we don't have anything. We already told you we don't have anything. But he says, go look again. How many of you have been parents or grandparents and, you know, you, hey, Go find this. It's in the other room. They go, it's not there. I can't find it. I looked in my room. I can't find my shoes or my book or my cap or whatever. Go look again, and then I'll come look. And then they go back, oh, yeah, sorry, it was right there. I missed it. So we, we have this liturgy in our house, too, when Amberly's out of town, and I'm responsible for feeding the kids. I always have this moment of panic, and I open the refrigerator, and I go, and I see raw materials, you know. I see eggs. I see things, but I'm like, that's not food. I can't put that on the table. They can't just eat raw eggs. And so I have this moment of panic, and I call, and I say, Honey, what, what should I feed the kids tonight? And she says, Honey, you're a grown man. Look, Go and look again. <laughs> go look again. There's plenty of food. Just get creative. You know, it's not rocket science. Just get out a skillet, get out some egg, whatever you need to do. There's plenty of food there. Take care of business. Okay. But it's that, we all have that moment of panic. We're like, I can't do that. There's, there's not any pre-made stuff there. There's not a job description for that. Go and look again. 
And so they go and look, and we go and look, and we find some pretty meager stuff. Uh, all four gospel writers record this miracle that we're about to read about, and all four of them are in harmony that there were five loaves and two fish. So they were all in harmony that there wasn't much. Five loaves of bread, two fish. That's all we've got. Okay, so they go ahead and give the report. And then Jesus commanded them to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sit down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. Now, this is the point where your Old Testament imagination alarms are just going off like crazy. We begin to think about because We see all these numbers and we see green grass. Some of you have been to the Sea of Galilee area in the spring. And you know, there's not just a bunch of luscious green grass. So like, why are we putting things about green grass? What does the psalmist say about the provision that God gives in the midst of the wilderness, right? You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, right? You make me lie down in green pastures. You lead me beside still waters, right? Jesus is reminding his disciples that God will provide. And he's reminding us that somehow God will provide. Five, what's up with the five loaves and the two fish? Why is that so specific? Why is it there? The early church fathers in their sermons on this text are all in agreement that the five loaves are not just a number of a meager offering that was there that Jesus used to do a miracle, but that the number five was used by the gospel writers to remind us of the word of God, right? The five books of Moses, the Torah, right? This was the scripture that they had. So he's saying this, this, we, what we have is, is this word. We have the word with us. What are you going to do with that? So, Right there in the midst of these meager, what look like meager offerings, we have the Word of God, we have the presence of God. We have the Word of Christ, and we have Christ there, present with the people for us to behold. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and fifties. I think this comes from the book of Judges, where the people are trying to organize all the people of Israel, and they finally, you know, they get together and say, okay, we've got to appoint judges to get everybody taken care of. And guess what they do? They split up into groups of 50s and 100s. Okay, we're getting organized for the mission, right? We're getting organized to take care of things. We're getting organized to do the work of ministry. Where we say we can't do it, we can't do it, we can't do it. And this is where we begin to watch as the miracle happens. And how many times have we been in those meetings, those youth meetings, those finance meetings, those music camp meetings, those media meetings, those worship meetings, where we just say it's not going to happen? And then it begins to happen. And our faith grows. And I repent and say, sorry, Lord, I didn't think you could do it. I knew I couldn't do it. And so what does Jesus do with the meager offering? Jesus takes the five loaves and he takes the two fish. And he looks up into heaven and he says a blessing, breaks the loaves. He gives them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. Now, a man named Gregory Dix in the 50s, who was a worship professor, uh, he made a big deal out of this movement. And he said, what Jesus does with the bread is what Christ does with his church. And it's a movement, and if you notice it, all the verbs are in there. Jesus first took the bread, right? He received the bread, he received the offering, and Jesus takes us. We give ourselves to Christ, that is the offering, right? We Yes, we give our money, yes, we give our time, yes, we give our gifts, but we give ourselves, we give our hearts, and Jesus receives that gift. He takes that gift. What is the next thing he does? He blesses the bread and the fish. 
He blesses us. He blesses us where we are. He says, thank you for the offering of yourself. Now I'm going to bless you. Why? Because now I'm sending you back into the world. And that process is a breaking process. That the bread is broken. We go through a process of trial and struggle because we take the good news of the gospel into a world that is often hostile to the message. So we too are broken in the midst of our mission. And then finally, uh, Jesus gives the bread. Right? He gives it away. He gives us away. He gives the world himself through his church. That's our job. That's our work. And most of the time, maybe nine days out of ten, we think that it's not going to work. And we think we don't have what it takes. And ten days out of ten, Jesus comes back in and he says, I can handle this. Just give me yourself. I can take what you give me. I can bless it. It will be given in the world. Even though there's brokenness, I can feed the world through my church. I can send the presence of Christ to the world through you. And it's like he's telling his disciples, see guys, there's enough. We don't have a mentality of scarcity here. There's enough. There's enough for people to eat. And the disciples are tired. They're worn out. They're tired of hearing no. They're tired of hearing people say, we're not interested. You can go on to the next house. But Jesus says, there's enough. There's enough. So kind of wrapping up, there are two things that seem to be happening. Jesus is eating the bodies and souls of the people that he loves. Right? He looks at the world and he sees that we and that they all of around us are like sheep without a shepherd. So his heart breaks and he begins to take action. So he feeds us not only in our bodies, he gives us that kind of daily bread, but he feeds our souls as well. He teaches us. He gives us scripture and his words to hang on to. Things that can grow and change our lives. But meanwhile, he's not just taking care of people. He's training disciples. And sometimes we forget one or the other in the church. You know, we get really good at maybe we're feeding people, we're loving on people, but we're not making disciples in the process. Or maybe we're trying to make disciples, but we're really not feeding and serving anyone. So then the discipleship process gets interrupted. So it takes both. We give and we serve and we love. And in the process, we're making disciples. If in doing the work of our ministry, we're not making disciples who take those tasks up after we're gone, then we're not doing our job. And what is the training that we give to disciples? What is the training that we have received? It's that old-fashioned training that never gets easy, but it's very simple. We are taken, we're blessed, we're broken, and we're given. All we give is the gift of ourselves. And Christ multiplies that to feed thousands and thousands and thousands. The Mark also adds there to wrap it up that everyone ate that day and they were all satisfied. So much so that they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and fish and those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. And they all ate and were satisfied. I think that's the gospel ministry litmus test. Everyone ate and they were satisfied. It's kind of harking back. Taste and see, says the psalmist, that the Lord is good. Right? Taste and see. Put it to the test. Come and give it a taste. See that the Lord is good. 
if we're not satisfied by the gospel, if we're not satisfied by Christ in the work of ministry, there again, we're missing something. There is a deep and real satisfaction in laying down our lives for the sake of the kingdom. We receive more than we could ever give when it's lined up right. And we don't give from a place of deficit, but we give from a place of abundance because we receive Christ himself. And then we give out of the overflow of our hearts for that ministry to continue. That's what ministry looks like. So we're giving and we're being trained all the time. Taken, blessed, broken, given. Amen. So the invitation to taste and see that the Lord is